0: Today, we are actually finishing this series called Love Does, all right? And this is our conversation as a church about why we feel like love is so important, and we're talking about the theme, if you will, of generosity and what that has to do with um, the command we were given from God to love Him and to love one another. Matter of fact, we're going to dive into the theme verses. This is what we read uh, last week in terms of our theme, This is to the Pharisees that came to Jesus and wanted to know uh, what the most important commandment was. And and listen, there were 614 uh, commands and demands and things placed on them in terms of their law, of the law and the prophets. So they came to Jesus trying to trick him and said, the teacher said, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest command." And then he said the second is equally important, meaning that there's another part of this, but you can't say one's more important than the other. They're both the same. So you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. then he says, and you're going to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he puts the end cap on it, which you'll see this many times. He talks about this. He says the entire law and all of the demands, right? Everything that you see from the law and prophets is based on these two commandments. Jesus is basically in a summary statement saying, if you could get these two things, that if you're around church world, it's called the great commandment. If you can get this, everything else falls into place. Everything else would be taken care of if you could just do this. And so we asked the question last week, just as a reminder, we asked the question, what does love require of me? And we don't usually like that word require, right? We don't like to use that word with love because um, when you say require, it makes you feel like it's an obligation. It makes you feel like it's something that you're accountable for, right? We like to use the word love with just, you know, passion and romance and, and, and just emotion. I love him, you know. We, we, we love to use love. We want to be free. We think of freedom and we think of, you, you know, I want to be free to love who I want and when I want and how I want and, 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 and so forth. And so we don't usually use the words, but Jesus didn't seem to have a problem with it. Okay, again, this is where we want to see the contrast. Jesus didn't seem to have a problem with using the word love and the, and the definition that he gives us of love with a command, with something we are required to do, with something that we are commanded to do. And so then we started last week just talking about, well, what does that mean for us? How, does, how do we express and live this life of love in this world, and how can it be seen? What does it require of me? So last week we talked very specifically about generosity. A spirit of generosity really is, go ahead and go to the next slide. Um, oh, I'm sorry, you're right, I, I, I didn't do this. We named the series after this book called Love Does by Bob Goff. And I don't know if you have read this book. It's a phenomenal book. We couldn't teach through the book because if you've ever heard Bob Goff or read his stuff, um, it's really random. Okay? It's not like, it's not like, you know, step one, two, and three. It's just a lot of stories, it's a lot of heart, it's a lot of passion about living a life of love. And so, but I want to give you a quote from this book because it's a phenomenal book. Again, we're we're using this as the theme for our series about what his heart of the book really means. And so his book, and this is a great quote that tells you all about the book, that love is never stationary. Love doesn't just keep thinking about it or keep planning for it. Simply put, love does. And as I was saying earlier, we, we kind of attribute this in our world in terms of our culture as generosity, in terms of being generous with the love that we not only receive but in the love we're called to give others. And so our definition is that generosity is love in action. The generosity, the spirit of generosity really is taking everything that God has blessed you with, your time and your talents and your resources and your money, and everything that he's given you to do his will, he's blessed you with that in order to use it, to do something with it, to multiply it, to give it back to him, to to use in service for him. And you either do that or you do nothing. Nothing. And as we talked last week, it really is this idea that a spirit of generosity helps us really combat what what is found most common in our culture, which is a spirit of greed, a spirit of apathy where we don't care about anything, a spirit of selfishness where we do care, but it's primarily about ourselves, or a spirit of fear, which really kind of just freezes us and paralyzes us in our tracks from doing what he's called us to do. So, for really, we, we believe generosity is the key. It's this idea of kind of putting love into action. So, today, what I want to do is I want to I give you some words that give us real clarity as to what it looks like for us to live this out, for us to live out this love he's given us and do it in such a generous way that we, you see love in action from our lives. But I want you to follow along in your Bible, okay? So, just go ahead and let you know. Uh, pull out your Bible, pull out your phone. All right, I want, you to, I want you to read along with me. Don't just take what, for granted what's on the screen, okay? I'm going to have you turn to Luke 10, okay? Luke is the third book in the New Testament. Turn to Luke chapter 10. Give you time to get there. And I want you to walk through another encounter that Jesus has. Now, some scholars believe this is the same encounter told in a different story, different way. <clears throat> I actually believe, based on study, that this is Luke, when Luke was doing the interviews and was talking to them, that this is actually another encounter because of the question that's asked. This is a different encounter where one of the lawyers, okay, this is one of the lawyers, one of the lawyers of the religious law try, was also trying to sort of trick Jesus. And this is after he's, Jesus has already told them what the greatest commandment was. Okay, you guys ready? Luke 10, you guys are all following along? All right, Luke 10. We're going to start in verse 25 says, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Now, again, this is a different question, which is why I believe it's a different encounter. He says, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? What do I got to do to set up myself for eternity? What do I got to do to make sure that's squared away? Which, by the way, we start a new series next week called Eternity. Quick plug, just to let you know, we're starting that next week. So, come back for that. But, but he's saying, what do I do to sort of make sure that's all good. And Jesus replied, well, what does the law of Moses say, and, and how do you read it? Now, this is where you really, you know, again, top of the class here, you know, this guy actually repeats back to Jesus what Jesus has already said, or he's heard Jesus already say. So he says, well, what do you think the law of Moses says? And he says, oh, Jesus, I've been paying attention. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and your strength and your mind. This comes from Deuteronomy. And, extra credit, right? Because he's really been paying attention. And love your neighbor as yourself. So this lawyer has got it. He's like, okay, that's, that's great. So Jesus says and replies to him, right. Jesus told him, believe this and you will live. Believe this and you will live. Now those who are following along in your Bible, does that, is that what it actually says? Are you following along? No. No, that's right. Okay, pay attention, the little MDV, that's the Matt Dawson version. You can't just trust what I'm going to put on the screen, all right? You can't just go trust in that. you got to follow along. He doesn't say, believe this, and you'll live. What does he say? He says, do this, and you'll live, right? You want to square yourself away? You want to do this? Now, again, you can get to some weird legalistic theology here, but he, Jesus is just making it simple. Love the Lord you got with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself, the great commandment. Oh, that's great. Yeah, if you'll just do that, you're good. You'll live. He goes on to say this, though. The man wanted to justify his actions. Just justify his life. So he asked Jesus the question, and who is my neighbor? Now, just to give you some context, the, the, the Jewish culture, because of the way the law was written and because of how it was taught in the Jewish culture, in terms of all these commands, uh, the Jewish culture was a very insider culture, meaning that the Jewish culture meant that the Jews were in themselves family, or at least that, that idea of community, and they referred to one another as their neighbors. Okay? No one outside of the Jewish culture would have been considered a neighbor, They had all sorts of other names for them, Gentiles and, you know, heathens and pagans, you know, they had all other sorts of names for all the other people. But when it came to the Jewish culture, they already were raised in such a way that said, well, their neighbor is just another Jew. And I would argue that that's very similar to how most Christians really begin to also interpret scripture and also begin to interpret what God says to do, because we really sometimes believe that a neighbor, the people we're supposed to be doing this to, is to other Christians. To other believers, right? So Jesus, here's the question. He hears the question and he decides to answer it by telling another parable. If you weren't here last week, we told you know we talked about what parables are. Jesus tells another story to give the answer to that this guy is looking for. You ready? So Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man, which is great. He's already answering the question for him, right? Hey, who's my neighbor? Well, let me tell you a quick little story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him up, and they left him half dead beside the road. They would have understood this. They've probably seen this before. By chance, just so happens, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed the other side of the road and passed him by. Now, just to give you some context again, not any different than today, he was probably just identifying the the, the leaders of the church, the leaders of the religion, the priests, right? So that would be me. That would be Pastor Don, Pastor Chris, Pastor Shin. That would be the pastors in our culture. Okay, so we would have seen him, but we decided to cross the road and pass him by. Then Jesus goes on to say, and then a temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Now, who's the temple assistant? Well, that's you, right? It's you. If you're a partner here at our church, you serve, you give, you're a part of the community, you're engaged in that way. That's what the temple assistant was. This is, we're not talking about a staff position or, you know, a key leader. We're talking about the people who assisted in worship. And so uh, this temple assistant just happened to be going where the priest was going. And he says that he also, you and me, were all included in this story passed by. And then he says this, then a despised Samaritan came along. Now, I'll be honest. It's extraordinarily difficult for me to give you a common, modern, especially to us North Americans, a modern context to the way in which Jesus actually said these words, okay? That a despised Samaritan Just to let you know, the um, Samaritans—they were those outside of the Jewish culture. Okay, so, but they were—they if you were raised in Jewish culture, you hated the Samaritans. They were a perverted offshoot from eons ago of the Jewish culture. Like, like they are the worst of the worst in terms of what their mind—they were—they grew up with a sense of hatred. It wouldn't—I guess it would be similar to to to. you know, if you if you thought about like a, an ultra-conservative, a fundamentalist, Bible-beating Christian saying that a despised transgender person walked up, or if you're one of those Democrats, like a despised Republican showed up, right? Vice versa, if you're one of those Republicans, like a despised Democrat showed up. Really, in our culture, which I, I mean, again, we got, we got miles and miles to go, but in our current culture, we don't currently have this kind of upbringing. I mean, in, the, in, in many, many, many years ago, not that many years ago, but many years ago, uh, you know, the, the, the white power and the, and the Ku Klux Klan era would have raised their children with a hatred of colored people, with people of color. And that's about the closest I can get to, to have you understand the context of what Jesus is telling in this story. He brings up the most despised nation, if you will, or or people group that is the closest to them in terms of their Jewish culture. Despised Samaritans. A despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. When he saw this Jewish man on the side of the road, helpless, hurting, he had compassion for him. And going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins as kind of a deposit, telling him, look, I want you to take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time you're here. His credit must have been good with the, with the innkeeper, but basically one of those like, I'll take care of it. If it costs more, no matter what it takes, you take care of him. And if it's more than this, what I've given you, I will take care of it. I'll, I'll pay the debt when I return. And then Jesus says, now which of these three would you say is a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? And again, this is guys, this is just the, the little ninja flip thing that Jesus, only Jesus was able to do, okay? I mean, he just, he just was a master at it, of taking what you thought the question was actually all about, and Jesus flipping it and turning it around to what the question is really about, and then answering your question with another question. And not a question of who is the neighbor, because in the, the lawyer's mind, we've already answered the question, the Jewish man is the neighbor, he was the one attacked. And yet Jesus says, I don't care who the neighbor is who, in your mind, I want, you, I want to know who you think is the one who acted like the neighbor should act. I want you to tell me who was being a neighbor, who is doing what I've called you to do in this story. And the man replied, read those two words, the one. He couldn't even say it. Like this again. He couldn't even say the Samaritan. He just had to say, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, yes. Now go and do the same. I want you to go and do what this Samaritan did. I mean, Jesus has already been teaching them what life looks like, what things look like as a follower of Christ. What does it look like to change in the idea that the kingdom is here and the kingdom is coming? I mean, what, is it, what does it look like to live this out in your life? Not according to the laws and the rules that you've been given, but how do you rise through those, especially with the summary of the great commandment and say, this is what it's really all about in terms of how God views things. And here he is, here's this lawyer like trying to justify the the way he lives and his actions and and just like, well, you know, well, who is it then? You know, who who's the neighbor? Who am I responsible? What does love require of me when it comes to my neighbor? He doesn't get the answer he's expecting. Because Jesus is a lot less concerned about who you think the person is you're supposed to care for than it is, than he's concerned about you doing the thing he's called you to do you being the neighbor, you being the one living out the commands of God, living out this love, this generosity of giving your life away for others. As again, like Bob Goff said, like, you know, not not thinking about it, not talking about it, but actually doing it. Now, I will say this just (laughs) because I love this quote, if you do read the book and get a chance to read the book, this is another one of those quotes that I've used before um, that Bob shares about his own personal story. And, and, and this is a story just with him and a bunch of men that he was meeting with and, and doing kind of a Bible study with. And he got really frustrated. He got really frustrated with this Bible study. And so they decided to do something about it. And the comment that he makes in terms of the, the quote I want to give you, the comment he makes is this. People don't need another Bible study group as much as they need a Bible-doing group right? People really don't need another group to get together and discuss and talk about. Again, I don't think, you know, he wasn't talking about the fact that you don't need to study God's word, but you really don't need another one of those things if you're not actually doing what those studies tell you to do. We don't need another Bible study group to talk about, you know, is that a kind of is it a kind of a phileo love, you know, or is it like an agape kind of love? Like the, what does the Greek really mean when it comes to the way in which Jesus said it and is there a tense that we need to pay attention to? You don't need another study to do what God's called you to do. To live that spirit of generosity out in the culture that needs to see God's love in action. And as we talked about last week, you really are challenged with, you've all been given something from God. Every one of us in here has been given gifts and talents and opportunities and money and resources to leverage and to use. What are you doing with it? To love him with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Generosity, as we've always talked to our church, generosity is a heart issue. It's not a, it's not a giving issue, right? It's not a, it's not, we're not just talking about giving money. You know that people can give money and have all the wrong motives. They can give time and have all the wrong motives. They can give, you know, let, let people leverage their skills and have all the wrong motives. I love this quote where it says, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Meaning that when we talk about this kind of love, You can actually give, you can actually do some things out of your excess that has nothing to do with the love of God. But you really aren't supposed to be able to claim and proclaim and read about and study and sing about a love that doesn't produce action, that doesn't produce this generosity. You really, that's not how it should work. But again, it's a heart issue. It's really not you know, just the, the excess that we all seem to have in our culture. It's, it's a heart issue. And I love this. This is a Nigerian proverb where it says, it's the heart that does the giving. It's the fingers The fingers only let go, right? Yeah. We think it's a finger problem, right? I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough this. I don't have, I'm not good enough at this. We think it's a finger problem. It's not a finger problem. It's a heart problem. <laughs> the heart is where generosity starts, The fingers just let go. The fingers are just the action that follow what is happening inside. Now, every year we provide an opportunity for us as a church to do something to help our community and to help those in need in a way that we call the Share Hope Project. All right. Now, if you've been around here for a while and you know me, I do not feel it's my responsibility as a church to. you know, spoon-feed you opportunities to serve other people and to show the love that God's placed in your heart. You should be doing that anyway. Uh, that's just part of your the life I want you to be living. But we do feel like, as a church, we do have opportunities to do something together, to do something collective, to do something that challenges us to make a wave of difference and an impact for those in our community in need. And so, We call it the Share Hope Project. This is something we do between, uh, we're launching it today. We'll do it all the way until um, the week, the Sunday right before, I don't know the date, the Sunday right before Thanksgiving, okay? That'll be the end. Um, There's three components to it, a giving component, a gathering component, and a serving component. And again, we make it really, really easy, okay? We're going to gather for three different organizations, all right? We're going to gather... we're going to gather supplies, uh, hygiene, and personal products uh, for Care Pack. We have a couple organizations, another couple churches, that are now helping us distribute those care packs to the to homeless uh, folks. We want to be able to do that, so we need to stock up on those supplies. So we're going to collect for Care Pack. We're also are going to collect for Bags of Hope. Bags of Hope uh, is an organization that really was birthed out of Journey. Um, we were serving one school about 20 to 30 backpacks. And, and now Bags of Hope is its own organization, its own nonprofit. We are now serving almost almost 400 backpacks a week at all the schools in, 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 the, in the Lake Norman area. Almost all of the ones in the Lake Norman area. It's phenomenal. But we, as a church, said, hey, we want to be able to provide the Thanksgiving bag, which is a ba- an extra bag that provides a Thanksgiving meal to those families. And so you'll be able to collect for some of those things in terms of, of, of bags of hope, the food items. We also have, we're not going to be doing a, a Operation Christmas Child shoe boxes this year. Instead, we're going to be doing Recovering Hope Christmas boxes. Okay, We're going to do Recovering Hope boxes so that we can provide a Christmas for the girls that are in the shelter at Peru. All right. So there'll be items that you can get. And that, that's something you enjoy doing with your family. You can purchase those items together as a family, very similar how you did the shoe boxes. Uh, but we are going to be really specific this year about sending those boxes and those gifts down to the girls in Peru. And, we, and, and just to let you know, this gathering project is not for you. It's not for you. It's for you to have the opportunity to invite others to do it with you. If you, Listen, for you to take a bag home and fill it up, um, that's not, listen, that's just, I'll just be honest, that's not enough. I'm not going to give you a cookie for that. You can do that all by yourself, all right? I want you to take several bags. I want you to take them to work. I want you to take them to, to, your, to your, um, your social clubs. I want you to take them to your ball teams. I want you to take them to you know, your neighborhood, and you hang a few on doors around your neighborhood. Why? Because there's people in your life who don't even know you're a believer. They don't even know you're a Christian. And you would be surprised that they weren't. They're not going to respond very well to a track being thrown on their lawn, or you know, you showing up every night trying to convince them, you know, asking them if they're dead tonight, where are they going to heaven. You're like, they they don't respond to that. But I'm promising you, if you show up and say, listen, I want to provide Christmas boxes for girls who've been abused in Peru. We want to provide a Christmas for them. Would you be willing to help donate some of the things that are on this list? Here's some of the food for those who are struggle with food security in area. Like you'd be surprised at the number of people who don't, have, who don't, in their mind, want to have anything to do with church. How much they would love to help you make a difference in people's lives, okay? That's, that's what this is for, that's the goal of our gather. You can serve. You can serve in, in several different ways. We have a, a we partner with Love Life Charlotte. Uh, we're doing a walk at the end of this year. Hundreds of churches are gathering together to walk and pray about the abortion crisis in our city and other cities uh, around our, North Carolina and in New York, a movement growing in New York. And uh, we're going to gather together. So you can sign up at the info bar and, and serve in that way. You can go and walk and pray. Uh, we have another opportunity to go to the Operation Christmas Child uh, Packing Center and actually pack the shoes boxes for them, so we still want to do that. That's on December 4th. You can go serve there. You can also serve at the Room in in the Inn, which is something we do December through March during the winter months uh, for the uh, Charlotte Rescue Mission. We actually bring the homeless here we actually, you know, bring them in a van here to provide a bed for them, provide a, a safe place and a warm place for them. We, do, we, we eat with them. We uh, do their laundry. We provide, um, uh, again, a, a warm place for them to sleep and a bed. We, we do this about four times throughout the winter. And the first one's going to happen the first weekend of December. So you can also serve there. We want you to give, and now giving is is easy. We, we have one specific give portion of this, uh, and that is is to, to, we can't, um, it's kind of hard to put a turkey, frozen turkey in these bags, right, and let it last until it gets home. So what we do for Bags of Hope specifically is we ask you to give $15 gift cards to local grocery stores, $15 gift cards. To, for these bags so that we can send them home and with, with the families and they will uh, be able to purchase a turkey or a ham or something for their family for Thanksgiving. Now, if you don't want to personally go to the store and get the gift bags, you can give just the money. Okay? You can just write a check and give. We will go purchase those gift cards for you to fill up those bags. But we want to have enough gift cards to not only cover our Thanksgiving bags, but we want to cover our Christmas bags. So we're looking for $815 gift cards, and we believe we can do it as a church in terms of giving. Now, that's the Share Hope Project, and I'll just be honest with you. Many of you have participated in this before, and there are things about this that you already do naturally, right? I've I've already mentioned this, and you're just like, oh, I can't wait to go to the, the Operation Christmas Child Center and pack again. It was so much fun. Oh, I can't wait to take the bags back to the school. And, and I loved it when the kids got to kind of get together and the preschool and the soccer team. You know, they, they loved doing it last year. I can't wait to do that again. Oh, I loved collecting in our neighborhood for Bags of Hope. It was so much, oh, it's such a great opportunity. And, and there's something that you've maybe already done or what already comes very natural to you. I want you to do it. But as your pastor, I want to challenge you to do the thing that comes least natural to you as well. And maybe that's giving, because you, have a, you don't have a finger problem, you have a heart problem. So I want you to give some gift cards. I want you to do what comes natural, but I also want to challenge you to do what doesn't. Maybe it's serving, giving of your time to the walk, to the room at the inn, to the packing center. Maybe it's gathering. Maybe, again, maybe it's you've never, ever, 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 ever asked your coworkers to do anything like this before because of fear, because of all sorts of issues. I want you to do what becomes least natural and push yourself and challenge yourself to do more, to be able to extend that offer, to be able to ask folks to help you share hope with others. And let's start, again, it starts with that generous spirit. Now, I have to end it this way because I just, I'll just fill you in. I had a great conversation with folks last week. Last week when we ended it, we talked about the, just the, the nature of fear and apathy and selfishness and greed, just some of the things that people have to work on in order to really begin to see generous spirit uh, be birthed in their hearts, and, it, and it's just true. But I want, I have to say this because sometimes, you know, regardless of what you do as a church, if you're cynical, if you have a cynical nature, or if you've just been burned by the church before, or you just you've been around church culture for a while then all of these things can start and start to feel like and act like it really just all is about Matt trying to get me to spend money on something. It's all about, um, you know, these people trying to to collect something that, you know, you you don't trust the backpack program. You have questions about that. You don't know about you've never you don't even know if this gifts are going to make it to Peru. I mean, you're just you're just there. You're just you're just in a place where you are not moved yet to get off your tush and actually do anything. So let me, just, let me just tell you why Jesus is so serious about love in action. Let me just tell you why he's so serious about it. Okay? Why, does, why does he command us to do this? Why, does it, why is it okay to ask the question that it requires something of us? Well, Jesus makes it so clear that I'll be honest. The Christian culture, we do a lot of stuff to try to muddy it up. But if you just look at those red letters, if you just look at your word, of, your word if you just look at what Jesus says, he is so crystal clear about why this is so serious to him. In Matthew 25, this is where we, we left off last week. We talked about um, you know, the great command, and as he was teaching the great commandment, as he was working through... Um, um, some of the teaching of the parable that we talked about, the parable of the, of the talents. He goes on to, to basically give it as clear of an application as he can, as he tells the guys what the kingdom of heaven is like. And he says this The king is going to say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation. Of the world. Remember, we're talking about eternity next week. We're starting with heaven, so that's a, that's a good plug for next week, okay? Come back. We'll talk about heaven next week. All right. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did that happen? Or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to, what's that word? When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, what's that line say? Read the line you were doing it to me. When you did it to just one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Now, trust me, I really wish he ended it right here. But he doesn't. This is only halfway through. He goes on to say, that the king will turn to those on his left and say, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. Second week of eternity series, we're talking about hell. So just another plug for that. If you can't tell, this is setting up the next series very well. Away with you, you cursed ones. Why? He says, for when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. And when I was thirsty, you didn't give me a drink. When I was a stranger, you didn't invite me into your home. When I was naked, you didn't give me clothing. When I was sick and in prison, you didn't visit me. (laughs) He goes on to say, and then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you? right? When did this happen? When would we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And then he will answer, I tell you the truth, whenever you refused to help the least of these my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. Guys, I can't, Jesus cannot make it any clearer what he has called us and commanded us to do. And if you want to know why he takes it so seriously, why it's not just one of these things that is a passing suggestion if you want to know why he takes it so seriously, then you need to understand what that section, was, what he was telling and teaching about that. He takes it so seriously because Jesus takes it personally. He takes it personally in the good and in the bad. When you give, when you love, when you understand stewardship, when you understand the call to serve and to love others and to, and to have compassion for those in your life that are struggling, when you understand this and when you give of yourself and when that generosity shows that you love others, you are doing it to him. It is with incredible joy that he receives what you do personally. but it's also quite personal to him when we walk across the street and pass him by. It's personal to him when we don't understand stewardship and we do not understand everything we've been blessed with has been given to us for a reason to do the will of God And we pass by. He takes it personally. When we live our lives in such just a marginless time, no time for anything, fully distracted with all of the things that this culture wants to distract us with, and we're not paying attention to a single person other than ourselves, we can't see the hurting, we can't see the lost, we can't see the broken, and we can't see the lonely. He takes it personally because he has blessed you and me with everything we need to do his will. And we believe that generosity, that spirit of generosity is going to move you to action. I don't know what it looks like for you over the next few weeks. We do it at this time and season of Thanksgiving for a reason. We do this in Thanksgiving for the purpose of understanding that when you process how thankful you are For all that God has done for you, we want that to motivate you into doing something for others. Take whatever opportunity you need. But pray every day, God, would you make me more generous? Would you allow me the opportunity to see those in my life who are on the side of the road so that I can serve them? So that I can be that generous spirit and do the thing that you've required of me, which is love others as much as I love you and as much as I love myself. I really do believe this this month, over the course of this this project, Journey has an incredible opportunity to make a wave of difference with these organizations, with these local, local folks with the Fall for Peru dinner. We have have an incredible opportunity to do something very personal to Jesus himself. And I'm praying that none of you, none of you would be so busy, so cynical, so apathetic that you walk across the street and just pass by. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you do, you do make it so clear for us. And God, I know that we are the ones who muddy it up. We are the ones who come up with all of the excuses. We are the ones who come up with all the reasons. We are the ones who come up with all of the one days and maybe I wills. And if there's time, Yet, God, you've called us to be generous with everything you've given us. And the love you have poured out to us is the first thing we can be generous with. God, I pray that Journey Church, this whole body of believers, would be people in our community known for their generosity, known for being love in action to those in need. God, I pray right now that as you use Jesus' words to sink and anchor in our hearts to begin to birth that generous spirit in us, may it fight off those spirits of apathy and selfishness and fear and greed. And that God, today, as we leave this place, as we we make plans for how we can take steps and take action, God, that all the things we sing and all the things we read and all the things that we claim to believe we would begin to experience in action as we love others god i thank you for this by your grace by your power and by your name jesus we pray all this amen